You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I stopped by Hardy's this morning, and when I pulled up, I thought I'd get a little half of a biscuit. That's not as fattening as a whole biscuit by 50%. And when I came up to the drive-thru, it said, no biscuits. And so I said, you don't have any biscuits? She said, we do, but they're flat. And I didn't ask anymore. I just went around and got my flat biscuit and and I realized maybe they were out of what would that be, baking soda or baking powder? But they still made the biscuits. They um, just didn't have all the ingredients, and so the biscuit was flat. So I'm praying that the Lord will provide all the ingredients for this message this morning. So <laughs> the message won't be flat. <laughs> but it could happen. It could happen. It's never happened before, but it could happen. So I'm talking this morning on a, a topic called uh, Treasures of Darkness. And I've taken it out of Isaiah 45, verse 3. Why don't we read this together? Everybody ready? Let me remind you, when you read out loud, words actually come out of your mouth. Isaiah 45, 3, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who called you by your name, am the God of Israel. Tremendous, tremendous verse of scripture. So my message this morning is going to be, have three different characteristics. It's going to be metaphorical. It's going to be practical, and it's going to be a little mystical. And I think we need a healthy dose of all three. So Isaiah 45, the Lord determines to reveal himself in an unusual way by promising to give us hidden riches from places we would never expect called treasures of darkness. Well, he knows us by name, and he knows how to give us what we need, and to restore the things that we've lost or things that have been stolen from us. And I want to say this, in things we may never knew that we lost, like purity, innocence, and connection. But God knows how to restore. And I want to say that again. God knows how to restore to us no matter what the situation or the climate. And so in this verse, darkness has several meanings. It means literally the darker darkness. But figuratively, it can mean misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, or wickedness. And so we have an unusual promise here from the Lord um, that he wants to give us treasures, treasures, valuables, of darkness out of places we would never expect. And when we're in places in our lives where we can't see the way forward, 
How many of you have been in that place? Can't see the way forward? Or times of confusion or trouble or distress? I would add even misery or sorrow. God has set himself to restore to us what we've lost. Now, in a theological sense, everything that Adam lost, Jesus has restored. Now, we haven't entered into that full restoration, but um, I believe the Lord wants to restore to us, particularly from these last several years. And one of the things I'm going to talk about just a little bit is joy. When, when you've lost your joy, you're in trouble. Actually, the wonderful thing about joy is it can, if you have the right kind of joy and the right, right amount of joy, it really doesn't matter what else is going on because it just sort of advances you above the snake line. You know, there's a line in the altitude, attitude, altitude, spiritual attitude or the altitude where snakes can't live. And joy has a way of pulling you up above the things that would normally really, really affect you. So I believe God wants to restore, and that's one of the things. Now, I have some uh, black and white photographs I want to show. And the first one is on its way. And that's, that's my daughter, Katie. And, and I, I took darkroom photography actually a number of years ago. Um, a man who was really good photographer made a living from it. He invited me to his home for a weekend and like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I spent three days learning the darkroom, uh, black and white photography, the whole process, which, um, I really enjoyed. And so the pictures I'm showing here this morning are mine. They're the ones that I, I made from start to stop, but I learned how to buy film in a hundred foot bulk rolls, rolls. I could load them into these 36 exposure canisters. I wound up having about a dollar a roll in black and white film. I learned how to develop the film, enlarge the negative. Somebody say that word negative, negative images on photo paper, which is light sensitive paper and to make actually these actual photographs. So these are pictures of some of my, these are treasures of darkness. That's what I captured out of the darkroom experience. Now they actually, actually represent people I love very dearly. Let me see. The next picture is of my three boys. That's pretty, that's a really cute picture, isn't it? Yeah. I actually asked them, I said, who pooted? And all three of them <laughs> stuck their hands, literally. And that's why I, I took the picture. So they were all in. And the next one um, is a picture. I'm not going to tell you which one of the three boys that is. That's, that's such a good picture. I'm so proud of myself. And, <laughs> and then the third one is um, the little boy's mine, and the other two are friends of the family. So anyway, those are some of my treasures of darkness. So um, 
But these are a metaphor. These pictures this morning, what I'm, I'm, the context I'm using in them is, is as a metaphor of what can come out of not just a dark room, but the dark room. And I learned that my proficiency in the dark room determined the quality of the photograph I could get. If I didn't know what to do in the dark, I didn't know how to develop my negatives. I wouldn't be able to produce the positive image that had become treasures to me. So knowing what to do in the dark, how many of you have been in the dark? Knowing what to do in the dark determines how well you produce something of value that you can keep, you can enjoy, you can remember. So these are like metaphors this morning for our spiritual lives. But what does it take to get a great photo? What does it take to get a great positive? Well, it takes a great negative to get a great positive. But it takes a dark room, learning how to navigate in the dark, acid, agitation, an appreciation for timing, developer, fixer, washing in clean water, focus. You focus the light through the, through the enlarger through the negative with the enlarger. It takes sensitivity, a light-sensitive paper, and it takes fixer, again, to stabilize the final image after the enlargement. That's what the photograph is. So think about this. You get an enlarged positive image out of a much, much smaller negative image. If, if you know how to navigate your life, the negatives will always be smaller than the positives if you know what to do with them. Is somebody listening? I'm listening. Preachers preach to themselves. You just get to hear the result. Once you have negative, you can make as many positive images as you want. Just keep producing them out of one negative. Out of one little negative. Now, one of the things I think about is humility. Humility is a high priority with the Lord. God resists who? The proud, but what does he do? Gives grace. Say gives. You don't have to say it. I'll just say it a bunch myself. (laughs) Gives grace. Gives more grace to the humble. Therefore, one humiliating or humbling or embarrassing or painful negative episode that we actually allow the humility to work in us can release more and more and more and more grace just off one negative situation. I I believe this. Now, to me, humility isn't being negative about yourself. Humility is simply telling yourself the truth about who you are apart from what God can do in your life. Are you with me? Yes. I mean, sinners get saved. See, to get saved, you come to the point and place where you humble yourself. 
But there's this idea of, of how terrible situations have the potential to destroy us, but they also have the potential to do something inside of us so rich, so rewarding, that we could live off of them for a long, long time. Now, I can't make these applications in your life, but the metaphors here, I think, have tremendous, tremendous potential to bless us. One negative situation. Now, often the depth of your pain determines the capacity of how much you can hold when it's time to be blessed. See, we don't really understand this process of the cross. There was nothing pleasant about Jesus' cross, but here's the key. He came through the cross in much, much better shape than when he went into it, that experience. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? He came out with a resurrected body that could never, ever be subject to any deterioration again. And so there's this hope of us, if we can understand redemptive, the redemptive aspects of our problems, that we can actually come out of them better than we went into them. But so much of it has to do with a state of mind. One of the things I feel like, I've mentioned this just earlier in the message, is that the Lord wants to, to restore to us the joy of our salvation. But one of the keys of not just having that restored, there's one thing to have something restored. There's one, one thing to receive something, but there's another um, skill set to keep it, to keeping it, to maintaining it. And one of the primary ingredients in maintaining the things the Lord gives us or in obtaining them when we're in a state of loss is really thanksgiving. And everything give thanks, for everything give thanks. And that is a very mystical idea. Because we have all kind of reasons not to. And that's all the more spiritual reason why you should. Now, this isn't a message on Thanksgiving. But I just got to throw that out because it's so important. So, let me review for, the, for emphasis this process. And remember, it is a process. You know, one of the things people say, why do these bad things happen? And I think, well, you were born into a war zone. You weren't born into the Garden of Eden, ladies and gentlemen. You were born in the middle of a war zone. You were born in a, in a place where everything goes wrong a lot. And if you say, why did everything go wrong? Why do bad things happen? It's because bad things happen where you were born. That's the reality we deal with. And we're so shocked when things go wrong. Anyway... There's a way to overcome these things through our faith, but it is a P-R-O-C-E-S-S. -S. What is that? Process. So many people meet the Lord and they don't stick with the process. They don't stick with the process. Gosh, how many times I would have bailed out. But you can't bail out of the process. You won't get what you suffered for. There's no sense being miserable in vain. So, the process, the photographic process, films developed in the dark. 
you've got this developer. And when you're developing the, the rolls of film, you have them on these spools in a canister and you pour a developer in there. And the developer is nasty. I think it's got an acidic aspect to it. But you agitate the film. Then you put it down, you turn the canister, you wait a little bit, and then you agitate the film. And what happens through the agitation is that it eats away the part of the film that's going to let the light come through. So there's a purpose in your agitation. Lord, there were people here earlier. <laughs> there are. There is. There shall be. There has been purpose in the agitation. Timing. The proper amount of timing. You need to know what you need to be aware of the right kind of timing to get the right kind of negative. And and here's another here's something that's important. Then there's also a stop bath that stops the agitation and stops the the development and that if you're going to make an application what that says is there's an end to a particular process you're going through it's not never ending and then there's this washing cleans the chemicals from the film that's what it takes to get a negative a good negative and then you go through the enlarging process. And I was reading the, the Psalms, Psalm 4 verse 1. It says, you have freed me when I was hemmed in and enlarged me when I was in distress. Woohoo! Enlarged me when? When I was in distress. And there really is, like it or not, there's a spiritual dynamic there's a relationship to how much you can carry, how much you can be blessed, how much you can hold. It's connected to a level of stress, trouble, and difficulty. We have no idea. It's a mystery, but it really is the mystery of the cross. There is a redemptive aspect to our misery. It's just we don't want to volunteer for any additional. Enlarged me when I was in distress. And then the prayer, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Yes, 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 yes. So then you focus the light through the negative onto the photographic paper, which is light sensitive. And then you fix that image and you wash it. You hang it up to dry. So being hung up to dry is part of the redemptive process, ladies and gentlemen. There's so much, so much in this, so... Let me make a few comments now. What you forge in the dark establishes what you can produce in the light. What you forge in the dark establishes what you can produce in the light if you know how to navigate it. How you handle your darkroom experience enables you to produce a positive outcome. How you set your heart and how you steward or manage your attitude and actions in the dark particularly that Thanksgiving attitude, builds the foundation you need to produce a positive finished product. What you gain in life that is positive is based on how well you develop the negative darkroom experiences. Okay, everybody hearing that? 
I've needed to hear that. The Lord actually gave me this message 25 years ago. Isn't that scary? 25 years ago. Treasures of darkness. Now, another aspect of the darkness is part of germination. Once again, it takes darkness to produce fruit. If there's no planting, no being stuck in the dirt, no darkness, no moisture, no death to the outer hull, and no water, there's no reproduction. There's no fruit bearing. In the parable of the sower, Jesus used this analogy rather to impress us with the importance of allowing the seed, which is the word of God, to be planted deeply in our hearts. And we're not going to go through that parable. There's a whole lot in it. But go read that in Matthew 13. But no darkness, no germination, no fruit. No darkness. No germination, no fruit. Who wants fruit? Darkness, germination comes first. Now here's the point. There's no power in the darkness. The power's in the seed. The power is in the seed. Or the power's in the word. And the the dark days of germination enable the power inherent in the seed to sprout and produce. I knew this fact I'm going to tell you. I'm I'm getting ready to mention. I've known this for at least 20 years. But 2,000-year-old seeds were found in Egypt. I think some of them were found actually in one of the uh, pyramids. 2,000 dried-up seed were planted, and they germinated, and they grew. And dead looking. See, that's, that's the thing about the Word of God, the Bible. It just looks dead. Oh, withered up. And uh, there is a difference in reading something on the page and having something really alive in your heart. You can't, honestly, you can't just go claim every single thing in the Bible and get whatever you want. It just really does not work that way. It works relationally, but it works sort of that way. But it works relationally and relationship. Um, and, and so we need to know that there, there's power in this word. What happens is the enemy wants to steal the seed, which is the word or the promise or the God-given vision. I know Thomas Torrey probably given up his vision of making movies a hundred times. Can I get an amen out of Thomas and I? Yes. Why? Because God gave him that promise or that seed. And here's the problem when you get a seed or a promise. It attracts trouble. We think the trouble's coming after us, but really it's coming after the seed. Jesus said, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Next time you shout and holler because you got a good promise, you better remember what it brings. It will bring a testing. It will test that word. 
The Bible says it's the testing of our faith that is more valuable than fine gold. The testing of our faith. And there are people that have been through some terrible, terrible situations. And I, I can't explain why any really good way. But I do know this. People that come through them, and I mean they come through the entire process, are incredibly helpful to other heartbroken people. They really are. And some of our trials aren't ours, they're yours. It came to me, but it came for you. Do you understand what I mean? What happened, the grace we gain, the, the, and, and we should ask for this grace to learn how to navigate our difficulties in a redemptive way to where we can do somebody else some good. That's what it is to serve. I was telling my wife about a certain situation. I said, it seems like I just have to encourage these people all the time. And I concluded, well, that's my job. That's what I'm here for. You know, we, we, we don't, we get so self-focused, it's too easy to do. But the power's not in the soul, soil, the power's in the seed. Now, Okay, we're looking good. Everybody good for like one o'clock? Nah, we won't do that. I've got some things I won't get into, but let's do this. I want to look at the life of David and how he navigated some darkness. First Samuel 30, I'll read this. You can read along. Um, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. And they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. All wept out. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So they got David's two wives. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But here's what David did. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me, which I won't explain. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David's city was burned. His enemies had taken everything they owned, including their wives and children. 
and they wept until they had no more power to weep. I know there are people in this room that have wept until they could weep no more. I know they're here. I know I have had experiences like that where there was nothing left to do but cry. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then after you've cried, you want to cry some more, but there's nothing left. Now, we would never think that's a stop on the Christian tour, would we? But it is. It can be. It can be. And so David and all his men are weeping, and then they come up with a plan. Well, we'll just kill David. It's his fault. But David begins to encourage himself in the Lord. And there are lots of ways of doing that. I could, I could probably do a message on that. But primarily, you encourage yourself in the Lord through mumbling through the promises. There's a time you study the Bible, and then there are times you pray the Bible. There are times you study the Bible, but then there are times you pray the Bible. One, one of the, one of the, one, one of the um, psalms I don't study anymore, I pray, is Psalm 95. I'm sorry, Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no evil foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God. On him will I lean and rely, and in him shall I confidently trust, for surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence, and under his wings shall I trust. There's some things you study, there's some things you pray. And there's Psalm 37, and there's Psalm 1. There are a number of different different psalms. You pray through them. You declare them. And I love how it is that the Bible has bonus features. What's a bonus feature? Well, they're hidden insights in the text. They're not the primary meaning of the text, but they're encouragements like the definition of some of the names. For instance, David's two wives, Abigail means source of joy. Just say that with me, source of joy. And his other wife, Ahinoam, means brother of delight or delightful. So what was the enemy after in David's life by metaphor? His joy, his delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, the Bible says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall bring it to pass. And I believe part of what the Lord wants to do in 2022 is restore people's joy. If we can um, walk in that, there are unbelievable things that will come from it. The joy of the Lord. Nehemiah, I think it's 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And there's so many other pictures in the scripture. Um, there's another one over in 1 Kings 12. A man, uh, an evil king named Ahab decides he wants to buy um, a plot of land for a man named Naboth. 
and Ahab offers him, and, and Naboth says, no, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. And that plot of land that Naboth had was a vineyard. And that vineyard was the inheritance of his father. And we have an inheritance. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Okay, you can say we were that joy, but guess what else was that joy? Joy. When people say God doesn't want to make you happy, they're crazy. Of course he does. Why would God not want you to be happy? My kids, well, as long as I can make them miserable and successful, I'll be happy. No, I don't want my kids to be No, for the joy set before him. There's something so significant and important about having that wellspring of joy in us that overcomes obstacles. So don't sell your vineyard. So back to David. David prayed, shall I overtake them? And the Lord said, yes, pursue them for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover what? Everything. How many of you want to recover everything? Is that possible? Yes. But we have to be part of the solution. So David did. David went after this. Things. The, he went after his enemies that had taken all their belongings. And honestly, he not only recovered his wives, I don't know, get it, the Old Testament, his wives and their possessions, but he also recovered everything the Amalekites had stolen from everybody else. He got more in return than he had actually lost. And we have got to think that way about the gospel. The gospel just doesn't get us to break even. It gives us back more than we lost if we will pursue, if we won't quit. I don't know how much he will actually restore in truth. But we need to believe God wants to do things for us that he's never done before. But we have got to refuse to give up. David could not reclaim what he had lost if he had not been part of the solution. The Lord didn't just say, I'll fight for you and I'll go bring it back to you. No, David had to be a part of it. I like that. And there was a process. The first thing David did was he strengthened himself in the Lord. He learned how to encourage himself when everybody else was against him. He was no longer looking to the arm of the flesh. And it says in Jeremiah, cursed is the man that trusts in man who trusts in the arm of the flesh, who departs from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He shall be like a tree by the rivers of water who shall still flourish even in the midst of drought. There's a curse in looking to people for your, for your basic encouragement. And not looking to the Lord. I don't mean we shouldn't help each other. Of course we should. But there's something profound here. You need to be part of your solution. There are things you can do. 
You can't say thank you, Jesus, when there's nothing to thank him for. When really there's a lot to thank him for, your heart has been darkened through unbelief or lack of gratitude. That's simply what happens. It actually says in Jeremiah, they won't see good when it comes. Didn't say good wouldn't come. They weren't in a position to recognize it because of the condition of their heart. Oh, my. That, that is such a challenge to me to hear that, but it's true. Develop a life of thanksgiving. I'll tell you one thing I do that helps. I turn songs I know into singing in the spirit songs. I put tongues to the words. I would give you an example, but it would make you nervous. <laughs> but there are all kind of ways to rejoice. Okay, I'm going to close with um, a daydream. I had, and I wrote it. I had a sort of a mystical story I want to read to you, but I think it'll really, it'll be helpful. It, it, invol it involves literal situations and then myst myst mystical conclusion here that we need to hear. But I wrote this mystical short story once about two couples. They were friends of mine. The first couple had suffered immense heartache. In actual fact, it sort of precipitated me writing this. The second couple was a doctor and his wife. And um, as the story goes, they came to meet Donna and I and the other couple for a weekend at this resort. And nothing of note occurred until we began to leave. My doctor friend and his wife were waiting for a tram with her luggage and she discovered that her makeup case was missing. Someone had stolen it. And she was so distraught because in the case were her jewelry, her family valuables, along with other items of great value from her family's legacy. Well, none of us really knew what to do about the stolen case. And as we were talking, the doctor, I'll call him Chip, Chip looked up and he noticed the caretaker's house. And light streamed out of the door that formed a pathway that was beckoning us, beckoning us into his open door, almost like his purpose was to lead us in there. So this light came out of his door. So we walked up to the open door and, and Chip and I stuck our heads in and looked and when we did, the caretaker said to, to him, he said, I've been expecting you. Here's Rose's case. Rose was the wife. I've been expecting you. Here's Rose's case. And so he hands my doctor the dull brown nondescript makeup case. And then the caretaker said this. Please hear this. The caretaker said, the thief stole that case from Rose but I gave it to her and everything in it. Nobody steals from the caretaker. Nobody steals from the caretaker. 
So herein lies a great mystery. Someone had stolen Rose's case, but you can never steal anything from the caretaker. And so I had two reactions, shock and disappointment. Shock that the caretaker had the case. Shock at how he knew we were coming. We didn't know we were coming. And how he got the case. And disappointment at the appearance of the case. It was so plain, box-like, had one of these small baker-like handles on it that, you know, I don't know if you've seen these things, the little sort of round cases from years ago when the handle flips back and forth and sounds weird. Um, inside there was a makeup mirror, you know, when you pick, ladies, you know, there's a makeup mirror in there attached to the inside of the top, but it just wasn't much to look at. The dull brown case impressed me zero, not at all. I'd seen one like it in the past. It's just, just not much to look at. So Chip took the case and as we were walking away from the caretaker's house, walked a few paces, he opened it to look inside and he discovered everything that Rose valued. Everything his wife's family valued was in there. Her jewelry was there and her makeup was there. So I looked inside too and when I did, I discovered a valuable pen I had lost many years earlier. I thought, what's that pen doing in there? I knew Chip didn't have anything to do with it being missing because I lost it long after we had both graduated from college. He and I were roommates, and we went our separate ways. He went to med school. I went to business, and I went into ministry. I had the pen after. There was no way it could have been in there. So then we made another exciting discovery. Too wonderful to imagine. Everything we ever lost was in the case. Things I had forgotten I lost were in there. We pulled out one valuable thing after another. Item after item after item with great delight. We discovered and recovered long lost and forgotten valuables. And there were other things. There were things in that case we realized, we never even realized we had lost. Things like innocence, oh, purity, hope, joy, things like healing from trauma and healing from heartache and from brokenness that we suffered from life's difficulties. They were in that case. And we were shocked. What? Then Chip handed me the case, and I began to examine it, look it over top to bottom. And I, I just marveled at this mysterious and wonderful contents. And then when I turned it over, there was this big autograph written in um, script on the bottom. It's an unusual script. There's this autograph, and the autograph said, Jesus The case is Jesus. I know that doesn't make sense, but the case is Jesus. Inside him is everything we need. Everything to complete us. God hid in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. All of them. God has hidden 
hidden, hidden. Look for things, hidden everything we need in a place, in a container that looks nondescript, very average, or even worse. That's the way of the Lord. The Savior was born in a cave used for a stable. When Joseph and Mary dedicated Jesus at eight days, they offered two turtle doves, the least expensive sacrifice. It was all they had. Moses met God in a burning blackberry bush on the far side of the desert where God had been living a long time waiting for him. Waiting for him. God was waiting for Moses in a blackberry bush to see if Moses would turn aside. That's what it says there in the book of Exodus. The Lord waited to see, waited to see if Moses would turn aside to look. And then the Lord called Moses, Moses waited to turn, see if he would turn aside, waited to see if he would turn aside. Then called to him. Isaiah said nothing about the Messiah's natural appearance was stately or would make us desire him. God came to us in Jesus in a form that's very easy to overlook. In him, he's restored all things for us, things we lost, things we forgot we lost, things we never realized we had that we lost, things we lost we were convinced we could never recover. He recovered everything. Then he hid them in a humble place for anyone who was willing to look. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So let me give you a little conclusion here. Years ago, I learned how to make black and white photographs in my own dark room. Both darkness and acid are essential ingredients in the formation of beautiful photographs. And our lives are like that as well. Many people have dark days and bitter experiences that mark them. And they can allow those negative experiences to embitter them. But we need to give those negatives to God so that he can make something positive out of them. It's just like a picture you make in a dark room. The light's got to pass through the negative. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's job is to shine his truth through the negatives of our lives to make a positive image. When we let him, he makes the best pictures. Those are the treasures of darkness. <laughs> oh, me. How does that, we sang that song earlier, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You're the one 
our hearts adore. Is that it? Jesus, we love you. We don't always understand. We don't always get it right. We don't always know what's going on. But we invite you, Lord, that you would shine out of darkness into our hearts and reveal the glory in us. Restore to us, Psalm 51, David cries out, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Fill us, Lord, with heaven's viewpoint. Even in the light of all that goes on, fill us, Lord, with heaven's viewpoint. The same spirit, Paul wrote, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he shall make alive your mortal body. Paul the apostle wrote in the book of Ephesians, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many have a, a negative they want enlarged? You've already got it. You've already got the negative. Let's hold these negatives up. You know what, just by metaphor, you've got, you've got one. And we say, Lord, make a beautiful photograph here. Make a photograph of this, Lord. Something we can treasure. Something only you can do. Amen. Amen. I would like um, to invite those of you on our ministry team who are going to pray. And any of you today who would like prayer, if you'll come up, we have some people that would be happy to pray for you. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray before we leave. Thank you so much, Lord. We prayed several times this morning, but thank you so much. Lord, give us eyes to see the mystery of the gospel and the cross, how that life comes out of death and how you transform and how you walk us through all these different situations. Lord, I want to thank you for uh, Queen City Church. I want to thank you for the squires this morning. I want to ask that healing would come to their house in a major way. And I pray that you would continue to keep us all safe and sound. And thank you so much for this day. It's beautiful out there, Lord. Hey, thank you for the snow, Lord. That was pretty nice. I like that. Send some more. Kids love it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, folks. Have a great week. 
You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.